from the low valley of Burbank and the great American Southwest. I bid you all a good evening, good morning, and good afternoon. That's right, I am your host, Kurt Savick, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's take another historical look for cryptids, this time lake monsters and some lesser known ones. That's right, I'm going to go through some of the most intriguing, real newspaper articles throughout history, and even deep dive a few. But first, as always, let's do some shoutouts. That's right, we've got shoutouts to Aaron, Aaron, ah, monsters, Lauren and, whoop, wait, wait, make sure that's correct. Lauren and David, Alicia, Amber, Andrew, Angie, Ariel, Austin, Autumn, Seth, Carolyn, Chuck, Cole, Damian, Dan, Daniel, Devin, Dill, Drake, Edgar, Elliot, Fabian, Harley, Harvey, Heidi, J. Mark, Jade, Jaime, Jason, Jeff, Jenny, Jennifer, Jerry, Jim, Joe, John, Joshua, Judy, Juliana, Catherine, Kelsey, Kenny, Kira, Kyle, 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 whoops, too many Kyles, Kyle, Kyle, Laura, 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 Ruth O, Lauren McCune, hey, howdy, hi, Lawrence, Leo, Lindsay, M. Caballero, Maggie, hey Maggie, Martin, Matt, Megan, Megan, Milo, Nanashi, Nick, Pablo, Paige, Paula, Peaches, the freaking cat, Rachel, Reed, Rosa, Sage, Sarah, Sarah, Sean, Bishop, the best, Shelly, Sonny, Suzanne, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Travis, Trey, Troy, Veronica. That's right, if you want to be like these cool kids, head on over to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac. And a very quick special shout out to all the haters lately. Fuck you. I'm not going anywhere. If you don't like the first five minutes of the show, it's called the skip button. Look it up. Alrighty, let's get on over to Paranormal News. I was a highway man. Along the coach roads I did ride. And the first story up in paranormal news, strange rotating disc caught on video by driver stuck in North Carolina traffic. Is it a UFO? Well, I'm going to let you guys decide. But 11 UFO sightings were logged by experts last month in North Carolina, but even that's even dozen if you include a lesser known report made near Shelby about 50 miles west of Charlotte. That potential sighting came to light after a video appeared on YouTube showing a disc-like object that remained stationary over Cleveland County for several minutes before vanishing, according to a witness. Now this video was recorded in the morning rush hour on October 25th and posted with the request that viewers give ideas on what it could be, including the possibility that it was just a reflection or strange play of lights. Hint, that's what I'm leaning towards. Aaron Bostic, 33, told McClatchy News Group that he was stuck in traffic on US-74 in Shelby when he spotted the diamond-shaped object glowing really brightly against a cloudy sky. It appeared to be rotating, he said. He said it stuck, it really stuck out like a sore thumb, and I kept thinking that maybe it was a plane landing at Charlotte Douglas International Airport, or maybe it was a really big stunt drone. Stunt drone. But it stayed in the same spot for two minutes. Honestly, I don't know what it was, and nobody at work who has seen the video knows what it knows what it was. He says, I'm not a believer in that kind of stuff, but we've all had all of this come out about UFOs and the military. You sort of have to question what you believe. Yeah, so like I said, I'm going to post this one up onto, uh, onto the Facebook page. I want to know what you guys think. Again, I kind of think it was reflection. But let's see what you guys think. Up next in paranormal news, I swear I had nothing to do with it. A stolen Bigfoot statue wanted by Florida Police Department. The Boynton Beach, Florida Police Department is on search for a Bigfoot, and they said that the uh, it's an eight-foot-tall, 300-pound statue, 300-pound statue depicting the mythic. They said it's an eight-foot-tall, 300-pound statue depicting the mythical creature, and it was stolen on October 1st. It was in front of a mattress monsters. Now I've seen the photo of the Bigfoot, and I gotta say, I kind of want to steal it. Like I'm, I wouldn't but I kind of want to. I can see why someone stole it, unfortunately. It's a sad day when you have to go and steal a Bigfoot, so anybody that has any information on where it might be is asked to call Detective Danielle Whitfield, Whitefield, or go to Boynton Beach Police, that's BPD, on Instagram, or Crime Stoppers PB. So if you happen to know somebody that stole this Bigfoot statue, 
they kind of want it back. Up next in Bigfoot news, nope. Up next in paranormal news, I love this story. I absolutely love this story. Boy ill with cancer finds Loch Ness Monster. A seriously ill boy from Berkshire has had his dream come true by, quote, finding the Loch Ness Monster. Scotland-obsessed Zachary White, who's five from Bracknell, spent seven months in the hospital after being diagnosed with acute leukemia in February. He enjoyed a trip to Loch Ness with his parents after a children's charity heard about his unusual wish. Zachary said, I spotted Nessie. She was green and scaly, a bit like a dinosaur, but a friendly monster. I love everything about this kid. Charity Rays of Sunshine said it was the 7,000th wish that it had granted for seriously ill children in the UK and, quote, wanted to go above and beyond. They made Zachary's wish come true after he underwent intensive surgery, chemotherapy, and stem cell transplant. His mother, Katie White, said today had been an amazing. Zachary's wish had been fulfilled. To be able to come away as a family and create such precious moments with Zachary after so long in the hospital has been incredible. Seeing him back to his old self, so excited and smiling, has been fantastic. During his trip on Tuesday, Zachary was given a Nessie hunting kit, including binoculars, a compass, magnifying glass, and a handheld torch. After an hour out on the water, he spotted the monster in the distance. He said, not many people get to see her, and I got to see her. I love absolutely everything about this story. I'm going to post this up on the Facebook. I highly suggest going over to the Facebook, checking it out. This kid, Zachary, is the best. Zachary White, I doubt you're listening, but if you are, you're the best, buddy. And I'm glad you got to find uh, Nessie. And I'm glad that you said that she's a friendly monster. I think that's awesome. Alrighty, let me turn up the sound for this next story. Canadian family's viral video of mystery animal noise intrigues Bigfoot researchers. The story goes on to say, what do you hear when you get a pained, otherworldly growl that sounds like a creature from a Western fantasy game? You take out your camera and record it. And that's just what a family in Ontario, Canada did while out hunting. In the middle of their trip, they were interrupted by an eerie howl that carried throughout the forest and trees and lingered, echoing as it continued on. So let's actually listen to the clip. Here we go. Oh, there we go. Hold on one second. Stitch, stop. Thank you. I love you. Stop it. Boy, that's really hard to hear. Let me try it again. You back it up just a little bit. Alrighty, so that's just a small sample of what they heard. They said that um, hunter Gino Meekest near Sioux Lookout in northwestern Ontario, he was spent out spending time with his wife and grandson as they hunted grouse on October 3rd. They were just over 30 miles away from the next town when this piercing howl shook the skies around 7 p.m. Now, obviously, in that um, video I played, you could hear them running around and little kids saying something. He goes on to say, We walked down a trail to see if we could find a bird, and on our way back to the vehicle, it started. When it let out the first scream, I thought it was a moose, but my mind changed when it screamed again and again. You can hear the creature's howl in question throughout the entirety of the video over and over again. They say it's quite haunting, so if you're easily spooked, you might want to skip the video. All right, relax, people. So this guy goes on to say, I've heard many different animals in the wild, but nothing like this. I grew up hunting with my grandfather for the first 12 years of my life. A lot of the Bigfoot researchers in the area do seem to agree with them that this isn't a moose. It's a Bigfoot. All right, what do you guys think? Do you think that uh, that sound that you heard is instantly, oh yeah, that's a Bigfoot, or just some mystery animal noise. I will say it sounds pretty bizarre. I lean towards something that I wouldn't recognize, but, you know, you never can tell. Okay, up next, Airbnb CEO on most bizarre customer complaint to date. It involves a ghost named Stanley. Since launching Airbnb in 2008, CEO Brian Chesky has pretty much heard it all. He says, but one stands out the most. One day, a customer calls and says they want a full refund. We say, why do you want a full refund? They said, because the house is haunted and there's a ghost. So as with any other complaint, the team called the host to relay the message and find out what happened. They said they expected the host to say there was no ghost and that would be the end of it, but that's not what happened. The host confirmed the ghost, but says that it's a friendly ghost named Stanley and that the ghost is in its listing description. Sure enough, after reading the listing, Stanley the ghost was mentioned. 
So we go back to the guest, and the guest says, yes, we knew all about Stanley. That's why we booked it. But Stanley has been harassing us all night. They were very upset that he wasn't a friendly ghost. When he wanted some more details, they said, nope, we just want a full refund. So what bums me out about this story is it doesn't give a link to the actual Airbnb with Stanley the ghost, because if it was local, I'd want to go and check it out. If it was local to one of you guys, I'd want one of you guys to go and check it out and see if Stanley really does harass people or if he's really a friendly ghost. Okay, and in the uh, shit we shouldn't be messing with news, could antimatter be the portal into the dark universe? So the story says, what if antimatter is the portal into the dark universe? Measurements of the universe reveal that most of its mass appears to be, quote, dark matter, invisible stuff that interacts with regular matter via the laws of gravity, but hasn't been directly detected. Despite major efforts to find it, scientists are hunting dark matter from various fronts. One team is looking for a popular candidate, the axion, based on the way at which it interacts with other matters called antimatter. So if you don't grasp what they're saying is, they want to use antimatter to find the dark universe. Nothing good can come of this. Absolutely nothing. What's the best thing they hope to find in the dark universe? Look, I already, I already think we're in the darkest timeline anyway, so you don't have to go looking for the dark universe. How about you just let it be, take a step back and say, yeah, there's probably a dark universe, Let's let it stay there. Let's let it stay dark. Okay, with that, let's take a quick break and get right back into this. We'll be right back to more Paranormal Almanac. Stay tuned. That's right, we are back! If you've listened to the past episodes, you know that I love seeing the actual historic newspaper articles that prove, or most times, debunk a lot of tales that are online. I really like going back to the source, finding out exactly what the story says. Because like I just said, most websites out there are utter bullshit, and the newspaper articles they're quoting from are utter bullshit as well. So, one day, I deep-dove newspapers for Bigfoot, and I couldn't believe all these tales I'd never heard before. And you guys have probably heard this episode. It was the episode I did about Bigfoot and newspapers. And I couldn't believe all of these tales I had never heard. So I thought, if I surprise myself with Bigfoot episodes, or with Bigfoot newspaper stories, I should say, maybe, just maybe, I can surprise myself and hopefully some of you guys with another episode a cryptid episode. So I present to you Cryptids from Historical Newspapers. The first one is a sea monster that was written about in the Maryland Cecil Whig newspaper, and that's Whig, W-H-I-G, newspaper on December 19th, 1868. I'm going all the way back to 1868. Now it's called the Pyramid Lake Monster, but before I read the article, let me tell you a little bit about Pyramid Lake. So when settlers arrived, they found a thriving community of Native Americans living off the lake and its resources. Those Native Americans were called the Paiute people. And they had a bizarre tale to tell about the lake and the serpents and water babies that inhabited it. That's right, I said water babies. What are water babies, you might be asking? Because that's what I asked. Well, water babies would lurk under the surface of the water waiting for a person who was wading into the water to get close enough, then they would grab onto them and drag them down into the depths to their deaths. Now, there's two very different stories for what water babies really are. The settlers said that the Paiute would dispose of unwanted or deformed newborns by throwing them into the lake to drown. And that was the, uh, and the settler said, and that's what water babies were. They're murdered drowned babies. Now the Paiute had a different tale though, that the water babies are the result of a great serpent who long ago emerged from the waters and fed on the baby of a mother who was washing clothes at the banks. Now depending on where you get your story, either the mother cursed the serpent for killing her child, or the local shaman stopped the serpent from killing the mother too 
and let it live to feed on whatever was stupid enough to wander into the lake in exchange for letting the mother live. Now, this led to a local saying, quote, If you hear them, you will have bad luck. If you see them, you are dead. Locals claim that every spring, at least one fisherman vanishes without a trace on Pyramid Lake. Now, that sounds like something I'm about to say, and I call bullshit or grain of salt time. Sadly, it doesn't look like they're all fishermen, all right? That I gotta say. That part is, you know, a little off. But there are a shit ton of deaths and drownings in Pyramid Lake. Even worse, the bodies are rarely recovered because of how fast it gets deep in the lake, going from a few feet to hundreds of feet almost instantly. Even worse, the lake at the bottom is extremely cold. It's mountain-fed water, so it's extremely cold. Those bodies that are down there are perfectly preserved. So, if you go to Pyramid Lake, my recommendation is to stay the hell out of the water because, at best, you've got a water baby or a sea serpent that'll kill you, and at worst, there are a fuck ton of dead bodies down there, and you should never go swimming with a fuck ton of dead bodies ever. Okay, with that said, let's get to the history. Let's actually go to that article from December 19th, 1868, in the Maryland Cecil Whig newspaper. And it says... Actually, I'm gonna have to skip ahead on this one. It's about a gentleman who visited Pyramid Lake and explored several of its islands. Blah, blah, blah. Let's get to the good stuff. Even though he was exploring it, even were they not withheld by the fear of monsters in the lake and upon the islands, they have no boats or canoes and know nothing of the rudest of nautical arts, raft navigation. So that's the first mention, but let's get to the nitty gritty. The strange animal killed near Eastport, Maine was on exhibition in the city recently. This animal, part fish and part beast, is over 30 feet in length and girts 21 feet. It has one enormous dorsal fin, two side belly fins, and a broad shark-like tail. About one-third of its length forms its tail. In connection with small fins, it has two huge legs terminating in webbed feet. That's right. It's not a whale. This thing's got legs. Uh, bum, 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 bum. Its mouth makes a line of five or six feet in length, the whole extent of which is set with innumerable small teeth, very much rem resembling in size and shape to the kernels of a species of short pointed popcorn. It is a series of gills which overlap each other like the flounces once the style of ladies dresses. Come on guys, you know, flounces. They could just say, it looks like fish gills. Um, it goes on to say, um, bum, 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 bum. Its immense body, which was estimated to have weighed when captured about 11 tons, has no framework of bones, its most solid portion consisting of cartilage incapable of preservation. Its skin is dark and tough, like that of an elephant or a rhinoceros. There is no record of his species, and none is greater wonder than the naturalist who attention had drawn it to them. Okay, here's where it gets a little confusing. This actually is two articles that are mixed together because it's an 1836 or whatever newspaper. So it's going to get a little convoluted. I'll figure it out in a minute. Don't worry. Just keep listening. I'll explain it in just a second. But it's two articles, one in Maine or Massachusetts or something, and one at Pyramid Lake. And I catch on pretty quick. But the way it's written is really convoluted, so I apologize. So they're actually saying there is a dead one of these. It was killed at Eastport, Maine. There's no photos of it. Now, I get, you know, hey, it's 1868, I'll cut him some slack, but how come there's no more words about this thing? It is insane to me that something with legs that big, and yet we have no record of it, there's no drawings of it, no nothing, but this thing was reported a lot across the nation. This is one of a ton of stories about this lake monster. Kurt here again. I'm about to catch on in three, two, one. Now, there's actually two stories in one. The first story is about Pyramid Lake and that lake monster. And the second one is about, um, actually, let me make sure that the Pyramid Lake, let's see where Pyramid Lake is before I, before I lie to you. Yeah, that's, so there's actually two stories in one. The first story is about a man going around Pyramid Lake and seeing 
the big monster. He said he counts for three or four monster serpents, 100 feet long and some four feet in diameter, having been seen disporting themselves in Owens Lake, which is right by Pyramid Lake. And right below that story is the story about the one caught at, uh, killed at Eastport, Maine. So one newspaper, two sea serpent or lake monster stories back to back. But the Pyramid Lake one goes on to say, the monster or monsters of Pyramid Lake, as described by the Paiutes, are not serpents. They're more nearly resembling the mysterious monsters of Lake Ural Sartor, one of the western Norwegian isles, which at uncertain intervals is said to arch its back above the lone waters of the lake, and there remain lying like an islet until it's pleased to sink again, drawing the water from the shores as it goes down. And the Paiutes have several times tried to point out to white men prospecting in that vicinity the Pyramid Lake monsters we have never met with anyone who was ever, who was ever able to see anything more than the swells on the lake, blackened by the shadow of a passing cloud. So again, one newspaper, both from 1868, two sea monsters right off the bat. I didn't know about either of them, so I'm already learning things. Hopefully you guys are too. Okay, this next one. Well, this next one claims to have skin from the Bear Lake monster, and it's from the Daily Ogden, August 19th, 1874. I'm going to read it to you first, then I'm going to deep dive this one just a little bit. This story says... The people dwelling in the vicinity of the lake seem to take a pride and great delight in telling of their, quote, Bear Lake monster. One man declared with all soberness that early one morning he happened down by the lake, down by the lake shore below St. Charles and saw with astonished eyes where the rushes had been pressed close to the ground as if some enormous monster had been that way. Of course, he flew to town with the news that he had seen the monster and away it went on the winds that the monster had again been seen. Another story, true of course, goes that many years ago, $100 reward was offered for the monster dead or alive. That's 1889 money. One ardent seeker after wealth and fame conceived the idea of baiting him. So he had a great fish hook over a yard in length made of the finest steel. A huge floater painted red was attached to the large rope, which was fastened to the top of a big cottonwood near the shore. And the hook to the other end, the red floater was to trace the monster should he break the line. A sheep was killed attached to the hook, and with this in his boat, rode out to the end of his line and dropped the baited hook overboard 200 yards from shore. He could not sleep that night, but tossed about in a feverish state. Next morning, before daybreak, he arose and was soon, and was soon rowing noises, noiselessly out towards the floater. With trembling hands, he raised the hook. The bait was gone. Ah, I'll have him next time for sure. He chuckled in an underbreath, thinking he was being watched all the time by the monster. That day he killed and baited another mutton, perfectly satisfied, blah blah blah. He killed another, kills another sheep, puts it on a hook. Let's see. This is a very long story about how many times it tried to get him to before he actually got a piece of the monster. Here we go, we're getting to the good stuff now. Tire Lake became disturbed by the maneuvers of the King of Monsters. The monster wheeled, passed in front of me like a dark meteor, and ran his head ashore a few hundred yards below. A young, a long, thin, blood-red tongue darted out, wrapped itself several times around a huge clump of bushes, and before I could tell it, the snapping of roots was heard. The enormous jaws opened and all the bushes disappeared down its hideous throat. That time it got away, but I did get a piece of it. A piece of its skin. I breathed to a living mortal before, as I knew my story would be discredited, but we shall most likely have a drought next season, and every foot of the water of Bear Lake utilized, I can safely make this statement, that the sea serpent will surely be found at the bottom. So this guy thinks he got a big piece of it, he's got a chunk of the skin, he's showing everybody the skin, he said, I think I got it, I think it's dead, I think it's at the bottom of the lake, next year, with the drought... I'm going to prove it to everybody. Sounds pretty good, right? Sounds pretty amazing. Well, sadly, 26 years following this and tons of newspaper articles, and I mean tons of newspaper articles, Joseph C. Rich admitted that it had all been a, quote, wonderful first-class lie to sell newspapers. So you see, kids, fake news has been around for a while, it just used to be fun fake news. 
So that's the first debunk of the day. The Bear Lake monster is Bear Lake bullshit. Okay, up next from June 22nd, 1893, is a story about a, quote, known monster. And it's at the Cedar Bass Lake. It's called the Cedar Bass Lake Monster. Now, I will say, looking up this lake, it is known for huge-ass catfish. And I mean huge catfish. And I have a feeling this is all it was. But this thing must have been huge. So let me read you the story. I'll briefly go through the story for you. It's called the Cedar Bass Lake Monster. An awful-looking fish attacks four men in a boat. That's right, attacks four men in a boat. The Cedar Bass Lake Monster has been seen at last, so that no doubt exists as to its size and its strength. Bathing and even fishing in the lake will be carried on with great caution until the fearful reptile has been killed or captured. Ah, uh, bum-bum-bum. Goes on to say that it has beautiful spread of water six miles long, half miles wide, situated five miles southeast of Knox, Indiana. And in the summer of 1881, a farmer named August White caught an unwelcome marauder in his drag, that's basically his net, under the boat, that proceeded to tear a hole, a huge hole, through the net and escape without even allowing itself to be seen. Two years ago, a rowboat was capsized off Cedar Point by being struck by something swimming very fast near the surface. This thing was huge, apparently. Last summer, the Little Pleasure Steamer city of Kokomo was pulled several feet by something entangling, becoming entangled in her anchor line. It pulled a ship. The other morning, Attorney Beeman, Auditor Knoxman, and Sheriff Vanderweel of Knox, accompanied by Honorable George Scoville, the attorney who defended the murder of President Garfield, went out for a fish. Their boat was capsized by whatever the hell this thing was. They said it was dark, they said it was huge, and they couldn't believe what they saw. The fish pulled out all the lines and then started for the deep water with the boat. The line was made fast and the fish gave them a free ride for a half an hour. Finally, all became quiet. Then Beeman, assisted by Knoxman, began to pull up his prize. The fish came in, sluggishly showing no resistance until with 10 feet of the boat, then suddenly rose to the surface, whirled around, and darted off. As it turned around, he struck the rear end of the boat with his tail, smashing the stern in a thousand pieces and precipitating Bowman and Knoxman, who were standing in the rear of the boat, into the water. Fishermen nearby that boat rescued everybody, but they all agree that the animal is 40 feet long, 3 feet thick, its head is huge and pointed, its color is greenish black, and they said it is devoid of any visible fins. A thorough hunt for the monster will now be made. So is it an eel? Is it a catfish? Nobody knows what the hell this thing was. But I can tell you it's real. The people that it happened to are reputable. This was not a story to sell newspapers. This thing happened and seemed to be real, and it destroyed a boat. It pulled a ship and destroyed a boat. So whatever this thing was, like I said, it had to be huge. Up next from the sun, August 5th, 1894. Now this one, I gotta say, I couldn't find any explanation for it at all. So we only have this story to go by. I gotta say, I was really hoping to find a follow-up on it, and even with the entire internet, I never found anything else about it. It's called the Thompson's Lake Monster. And now it has come to pass that the Reverend Mr. Tully has seen it. The great excitement has prevailed in this city and the vicinity the past few days over the alleged reappearance of the Thompson's Lake Monster, which has been seen by the Reverend A.K. Tullis, pastor of the Methodist Episcopal Church, about two weeks ago. Now, a good many people at Lewistown believe all of the stories about the animal. Hey, old newspapers, stop at the tiny writing. You're killing my eyes here. So, a lot of the townspeople believe that all of the stories about the animals were fake until Reverend Mr. Tullis. And now, it has brought everyone to their knees. Because whatever it is, the capture of the reptile or beast or whatever it may be called, needs to happen. Yesterday, the town was thrown into a greatest uproar by report that the serpent, a hideous monster 18 feet long, had been captured in an immense scene by some Havana fishermen. 
A large party of citizens secured conveyances and hurried down towards the lake, which is some miles away, but before they had reached the lake, a man who alleged that he had been to the lakeside reported that the monster had broken through the nets. He said that the reptile was fully 18 feet long, several feet in circumference, and had a horrid-looking head with several eyes and that two long tusks projected from the brute's mouth. Also, that the head was hooded and on the jaws were long masses of hair or whiskers. The thing almost screamed as it hissed and from its mouth protruded a long tongue whose end was forked. The most peculiar thing about it was that this creature had legs, which were short and flabby, covered with a sort of web. There were four of them. This was the description given to the reptile. This was the, this was the description given of the reptile by the man who met the Lewistown party. They go on to say that this reverend is 100% legit. Everybody should listen to what he's saying. He's not one to make up stuff. He's not one to fib. He said that um, there is no mistaking what he saw. They end the article by saying that the great monster has been troubling not only the lake, but the fields in the vicinity for months. Great tracks have been discovered both in corn and wheat fields. So again, the Reverend exists. I found that out for sure. But I can't find anything else about anybody else talking about this damn monster or searching for it since then, since uh, 1894. The guy's real. The story seems real. But holy crap, this thing is incredible. How can this thing have... How can this not have been followed up a number of times, especially around that vicinity, in that same town, around the same years? Nothing. I couldn't find anything else about this monster. And it really bums me out, because like I said, I want to know more about the Thompson's Lake monster. But from what I can tell, the Reverend really exists, and the story seems to be legit. Okay, let's move on to the next story. Now, this next one is another one that has no explanation at all, and it's from August 9th, 1923. So I skipped ahead a little bit from the 1890s to the early 1900s, to 1923. There were more stories, but a lot of them had to do with the Bear Lake monster, and like I said, we all discovered that thing is fake, so I'm not talking about it anymore. Didn't want to talk about Ogopogo. I did a whole episode about him. So, let's go on to this one. This is another one which I'd never really heard before. An ichthyosaurian appears at Panguitch Lake. Recently, the dispatches contained statements of a great monster that had appeared in a small lake in Wisconsin and telling of the alarm that had spread throughout that part of the country. The theory evolved that there was some sort of great prehistoric ichthyosaurian whose habitat was deep in the bowels of Earth, had in some mysterious manner or through some subterranean passage found its way to the surface of the lake, created great excitement in and around the resort. Scientists investigated and declared the whole thing a myth. Or did they? For years it was declared by people hereabouts that Fish Lake had its own prehistoric monster. And not until late A.E. Howard, former publisher of The Sun Here, Sun Here and in Selena, put forth the theory that was supposed to be an aquatic monster was nothing more or less than a huge derelict moss-grown leg washed hither and thither by the winds. Then comes Panguitch Lake to give forth the latest and most startling lake monster story. A visitor to Panguitch brings the tale that two weeks or so ago, a youth was boating on the lake until dusk. He was making for shore when suddenly a terrific impact astern drove the boat several yards at full speed ahead. The youth was startled, but concluded that discretion would beat investigation, and he started for shore as, he started for shore as fast as he could. Suddenly, the boat was seized at one side, whether port or starboard, dependent saith not. And the frail craft was rocked from one side to the other vigorously. The youth stood, not upon the order of his going, but plunged over the side and swam to shore. That's right. Whatever this thing was, slammed into his boat after dragging it for yards, slammed into the boat. The kid made a jump for it because the boat was about to flip over. And they say there is no question about the youth arriving on shore after an exhausting swim in the cold water of gators, there were a plenty, and soon boats were maimed and put to sea. The youth's boat was found, but no trace of the monster appeared. The waters were scoured in all directions, weed patches searched, and every nook and corner of the pond was eagerly scanned, but nary a trace of the monster. Later, a theory evolved that some adventurous deer taking its evening bath was the culprit that attacked the boat. They say... I guess that's as good as an explanation as any. All right, I gotta say, I don't believe 
that it was some random deer swimming in the waters that just decided to pull a boat out yards into the lake and then go and attack the same boat. But I like the beginning of this one. It talks about a shit ton of creatures that are sea monsters that have been popping up. All these lake monsters that are popping up and saying, scientists investigated and said, it's all bullshit. This whole thing about an ichthyosaurian seems like it's bullshit. But something was there. Something attacked this teen in the boat. And in my opinion, it wasn't a deer swimming in the water. I'm sure deer swim. I have no doubt about that at all. But attacking a boat in the manner that it did, I just don't buy it. Okay, next up comes with a little lesson. You might not know a very specific word in the article, so let me tell you what antediluvian means. Antediluvian means of or belonging to the time before the biblical flood. And it comes from July 25th, 1923 in the Chattanooga Daily Times. Lake Monster again sighted. Nebraskan reports appearance antediluvian creature, 40 feet long, formed somewhat like an alligator, but has two horns. By far the most vivid pictures of the actions and the feature of the antediluvian monster, which for about three years has terrified a number of tourists, fishermen, farmers, and others in the vicinity of Big Alkali Lake near the small town of Hayes Springs, Nebraska, was received by the Omaha World Herald today from J.A. Johnson, who signed his residence as Hay Springs. He says, I saw the monster myself while out with two friends last fall. I could name 40 other persons who have, not, who have also seen the brute. But owning to its apparent preferences to night and apparently dark nights, few have had as good a view as I. He goes on to say, We camped a short distance from the lake on the night before, and all three of us rose early to be ready for the early duck flight. We started to walk around the lake close to the shore when suddenly we came upon this animal nearly three-fourths out of the water in the shallow water near the shore. We were less than 20 yards from him. It lifted its head, made a peculiar hissing noise, and disappeared. The animal was probably 40 feet long, including the tail and the head, when raised in alarm as when he saw us. In general appearance, the animal was not unlike an alligator except that the head was stubbier and there seemed to be a projection that was like a horn between the eyes and nostrils. The animal was built much more heavy throughout than an alligator, and was not at all sluggish in its actions. Its color seemed a dull gray or brown, although it was hardly light enough to distinguish the color well. There was, however, a very distinctive and somewhat unpleasant odor noticeable after the beast itself vanished into the water. We stood for several minutes after that animal, after that animal had gone, hardly knowing what to do or say, when we noticed several hundred feet out from the shore, a considerable commotion in the water like a school of fish sometimes makes. Sure enough, the animal came to the surface, floated there for a moment, and then, lashing the water with its tail, disappeared, and we saw no more of him. So yet another creature, about the same length, about the same description, really interesting and far as i could tell this guy was telling the truth or at least wasn't a hoaxer like the other guy so again i have no explanation on that one an absolutely bizarre really weird tale that seemed to happen Alrighty, up next is the um is from the new era farmer in oklahoma on september 2nd 1926 and it says canadian lake monster 15 feet long races auto a strange monster which inhabits which inhabits Okanagan Lake raced a motor car be driven raced a motor car being driven along the shore road for several hundred yards says JL Logie manager of a local uh, local land company Mr Logel describes the monster as having a head like a sheep a dark colored body showing about 5 feet above the water and about 15 feet long three other persons in the car with Mr Logel said that the monster raised raised a swell about a foot high and made the spray fly above its head, made the spray fly ahead of it as it cut through the water at approximately the same speed as the automobile. So apparently, at least in 1926 time, you couldn't even outrun these lake monsters with a car. All right, so that brings me to Auk, which is Ogopogo's other name, something else I didn't know, and I had to pick and choose my Ogopogo stories 
or else this entire episode would be nothing but Ogopogo. So let's do a few of those, not a ton though. And the first one comes to us from June 15th, 1933, the Winnipeg Tribune. It's a very short story, and it says, The Indians have again seen Auk, the Ogopogan lake monster that whites have learned these last few years to call Ogopogo. On June 6th, three Indians were towing logs along the eastern shore of the north arm of Ogonkin Lake, where suddenly they heard a, ro- they heard a sound, and out of the rushes rose an enormous head. Its terrible features, its terrible, fierce expression was too much for the man on the logs. One promptly fell in the water, and the other made off along the shore. Okay, up next in Ogopogo. This next one is from August 8th, 1933, and I had to include it for obvious reasons that you'll hear about in just a second. This one's called The Mysterious Ogopogo. It goes on to tell you a lot about Ogopogo, how many times it's been seen. I did an entire episode about Ogopogo, so I'm not going to read this entire article, but I wanted to read one part of it. Oh, it talks about him swimming parallel to the car for a half a mile. How its body seemed to be about a foot thick and about 35 feet long. How there are three sections resembling the halves of balloon tires, blah, blah, blah. But that's not what I wanted to do this one. Here we go. Then there was also the tale of the huge bone, supposed to be a relic of Ock, that's Ogopogo, which was on display in Cameron's store in Vernon for years. That's right. The main part of this story, not the main part, but the main part for me of this story is they had a piece of Ogopogo, a bone from it, and it was on display in a Cameron store in Vernon for years. So I had to take a deep dive into that one for a second. And this is what I found. The bones were real. And everything about that story was true. No hoaxes involved. But sadly, when tests were done on the bones taken from the lake in the 1920s and brought to Victoria, they were very quickly identified as whale bones. Nothing lake monsterish about them. But there's a lot, and I mean a lot of stories, that those bones were real Ogopogo bones and proof of the monster. But again... I did an entire Ogopogo episode. If you can't find it, it might be a patron exclusive, so you might have to be a patron. But let's move on nonetheless, because I've got a lot more stories to tell you, and I'm starting to run out of time here. For this next one, we move on to Nessie herself, because I couldn't do a Lake Monster part of an episode without bringing her up. And this one comes from January 19th, 1934. And it was in the Nashville Banner newspaper, and it says Lake Monster is seen by monks on Loch Ness Shore. It comes to them from Fort August, Fort Augustus, Inverness, Scotland, January 19th. Four Benedictine monks of Port Augustus Abbey to add their testimony to that of persons who have claimed to have seen the Loch Ness quote-unquote monster. That's right. Even in 1934, they knew to put quotes around monster because there is nothing monstrous about Nessie, or any of these guys for that matter. But come they do, despite the taunts of the incredulous, despite, what? Despite the taunts of the incredulous, despite to the charges that the so-called sea monster, serpent, giant squid, or what else have they, is just a myth invited to intrigue simple tourists. They say no. Abbot Hunter Blair questioned the monks. Not only have we seen the creature once, we've seen it on several occasions. That's right. Four Benedictine monks had seen Loch Ness, had seen Nessie on the Loch Ness several times. They don't seem to be too plussed about it. They just like, yeah, yeah, we saw it. Saw it a few times. Saw it a number of times. So I would consider them very reputable witnesses and add them to the list of people that I would 100% believe when they say... They've seen Nessie. Okay, like I said, that was just a quick Nessie one. So let's talk about the perils of lake monster hunting. We've heard about stories of them flipping boats and everything like that. But what about the perils of lake monster hunting? Now, this one comes from the Times Union in New York on August 24th, 1934. 16 drowned in hunt for huge lake monster. And this one comes from Munich. A burlesque night canoe chase after a huge lake monster cost 16 lives and gave rise to the fears today that more persons had perished. Vacationists crowded Lake, and it calls it Chamonix, C-H-I-E-M-E-N-S-E-E, 
but I think that was just a misprint or maybe the maybe the names changed since then because it's it's slightly it's worded slightly different. When I wanted to find out if this story was real, I found out that yeah, it's real. But anyhow, so vacation is crowded around this lake for the monster hunt last night, inspired by the reports that a monster existed in Loch Ness, Scotland. A squall swept suddenly over the lake, and according to reports, a number of canoes capsized. So, like I said, I think they got the name quite I think they got the name a little bit wrong. It's actually Chemsee, C H I E M S E E. I don't know why they brought up Loch Ness in the story at all, because the entire story seems to be revolving around this German lake. But the deaths do seem to be real. There is a lot of newspaper articles about these deaths. So I guess, um, always wear your life vest when monster hunting? I don't know what to say about it, but that seems like a shitty way to die. Alrighty, up next from San Bernardino County, September 15th, 1934. Lake Elsnore Monster Saves Southland's Name. The reason I wanted to put this one on here, it talks again about a monster, I'll get into it a little bit, but the reason I wanted to put this one on here is, it really does seem to be, especially in the 20s and 30s, that if you had a lake monster, your lake got tourists. People came from all around to check out these lakes, which is why a lot of these stories are bullshit. Not the ones that I've included, except for the one I was talking about, Bear Lake. But a lot of these stories could be bullshit, I guess is the better way of saying it, because it drove a ton of people to small lakeside towns. This one goes on to say, reports of a great sea beast wriggling and writhing through the water and beating their tail on the shore has come to Lake Elsinore itself. Quoting a highly respectable valley rancher, C.B. Greenstreet, you would move along near the surface of the water, lazy-like, and then all at once would swish that huge tail and dart like lightning half the length of the lake. I know you think I'm crazy, but I saw it. We all saw it. My wife and two children. It was 100 feet long, had a 30-foot tail, waves as high as light posts washed on the shore in its wake. We watched it 10 minutes, hoping some other motorist would come along the highway so we would have proof. Finally, the thing, whatever it was, disappeared near the center of the lake. C.H. Blake and his family, who live on the lake shore, said that they saw the mysterious mammal-like thing last spring. Him and his wife said it leapt high in the leapt high in the air and seemed to cry out with a swishing noise. Other shore residents remembered the swishing noise. Then it goes on to talk about Indian legends tell of the frequent appearances of a lake monster. The Indians believed it lives at a point near the center of the lake where there is a great cavern leading into the bowels of the earth. I don't believe any of that bullshit, but I checked it out. C.B. Greenstreet and C.H. Blake do seem to exist. They were real. Whether this whole thing is real or not, I don't know. Because like I said, it, it does seem like a very good, cheap way to get people to your town. So put that one with a huge grain of salt, especially since it's 100 feet long, plus a 30-foot tail. The waves were as high as lampposts. There was a lot of embellishment to that story that I don't know if it's legit or not. But uh, I wasn't there. Can't prove it wasn't. The people seem to be real. This next article comes from the Portsmouth Herald in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, October 29th, 1934. And the main point of this story is a very interesting point. That when these stories started popping up in the 20s and the 30s, and like I said, it popped up across the, the country, around the world, really. If you had a big enough lake, you might have had a lake monster. But it also drove other people into town. Besides tourists and people wanting to catch the monsters, it drove P.T. Barnum and people like him to town. People that were looking to get rich off of having a lake monster in their display seemed to come from all around. And that includes this one right here. Lawrence K. Griswold's expedition to hunt the mysterious giant panda and Dr. William Beebe's 20-foot sea monster that he saw 3,000 feet beneath the surface are turning attention again about how little man still knows about the creatures that share the earth with them. I have a serious problem with a 20-foot-long sea monster 3,000 feet beneath the surface. I'm calling bullshit on that guy, and bullshit probably on the rest of the story, because it goes on to talk about all of the creatures that might exist, and most of them are real. It's giant panda, elephant water elephant, which is unlike any known elephant because 
elephants don't swim. Hey, 1934s, yes they do. But it goes on to talk about all these creatures, how people will pay big money to see the creatures if only they can capture them. And Dr. William Beebs, or Beebles, I guess it might be Beebles, it might be blurred out there, that Dr. William Beeble was going to be the man to do it. He was going to be the man to bring a lake monster to the circus. Spoiler, it didn't happen. Okay, warning time. Next up, from the Pequa Daily Call, August 19th, 1935. I'm going to start by saying fuck right off with this old-timey racist article. Now, it talks about a lake monster, but it talks about it in such a fucked up way that I'm going to get to that point and then I'm going to start skipping, but I want to I want to want you guys to hear why I'm so mad about this stupid article. But it talks about the Bergen Lake Monster. Now, stories have been around for 25 years apparently, and it had reappeared again on August 19th, 1935. Or I'm sorry, on yeah, on August 19th, 1935. Buddy Pitts, Negro, was the last person reported as seeing this huge creature, described by residents of the community for more than being a score of years as being about the size of a horse or a cow. Pitts said that he saw it while while walking, he saw it while taking up fishing lines from the large lake. He fled before getting a good description of the monster. Many inhabitants have reported seeing it during their 25-year period, but none has been able to give a description except as to its size. It's generally agreed upon that it's a monster. It is huge. So for some reason, this entire story has to point out that every person interviewed is African-American in the most, not the most derogatory way, but still a derogatory way for no reason whatsoever. I get that it is an article from back in that day, and back in that day this was acceptable. I totally am aware of that. What I'm saying is there was no reason to point out that they were African-American. They were just interviewing people. It, it's just old-timey, stupid, racist bullshit, and I wanted to point it out. Uh, Will Davenport, planter, I'm going to skip all the racist bullshit from this point forward. Will, Will Davenport, planter who owns, large, who owns large acreage along the lakeshore, has no doubt about the existence of the monster. He said he'd heard noises, especially during the night, from the direction of the lake, but had never actually seen the animal. Mrs. Davenport said that she saw the head of a monster one day and described it as being as large as that as of a cow. As large as that of a cow. Ten years ago, it was reported to be seen by Mrs. T.B. Witt, who lived beside the lake. W.B. Street, now dead, told of seeing the strange creature about the same time. Um, African-Americans tell weird stories of having seen the monster. One, George Washington, said that he was confronted by the animal while returning home late one night. I stopped in my tracks, afraid to move, and the animal didn't move either. After some time, he said it must have been the hours, the creature, must have been hours, the creature crashed through the brush and disappeared into the lake with a great splash. He could not give an accurate description, but said it must have been as large as a horse. Some residents believe that the monster to be a gigantic alligator gar. No idea what an alligator gar is. Others believe it to be a large loggerhead turtle. Here's the problem. None of the descriptions say... It had a body like a turtle. It had a shell. None of them. One guy said it was about the size of a horse. So whatever the hell this thing was, it does seem to be real. They said that there's gigantic waves large enough to overturn a boat made by the monster and escaping from the vicinity. It can go on land and in the water. So something was out there. You skip over the old-timey racist bullshit. It's a really great story about a lake monster and how many people have seen it over a 25-year period. So again, another lake monster that seems to be real and seems to be really big. Okay, how are we doing on time? Oh, we're doing all right. Next up, from July 24th, 1945. This next one I wanted way more information about, but I couldn't find anything else. There's a freaking photo of a guy holding up some weird-ass 90-pound fish thing, but I have no idea what it could be, so here you go. And yes, I'll post the picture on Facebook and on Instagram, so someone out there better be able to tell me what the hell kind of fish this thing is. I don't think it's a sea monster or a lake monster, but it's big, it's 90 pounds, it's weird-looking, I'll give them that. I'm sure it's just some weird-ass, you know, sea fish that I've never heard of or seen before. Or maybe I have, and I just don't know because it's a really bad photo. 
but it's about Ronald Snow of Winthrop, Massachusetts. He holds up a 90-pound sea monster caught by his brother, Edward Rowe Snow, while fishing in Boston Harbor. Edward believes the strange creature landed with handline, with handline and hook, and it resembles a species common in the ice era. Okay. Then, right below that story, fishermen say a sea monster hauls them out to sea. Again, this is in Swampscott, Massachusetts, July 23rd. Four Swampscott fishermen said that they were hauled a mile out to sea after they hooked a sea monster yesterday off a fisherman's beach. To prove their story, they're exhibiting a strange serpent with a balloon head and an eel-like body. The fishermen say that the sea serpent eventually became exhausted and that they were able to haul this 100-pound body on board. They killed him with a blow. The heroes of the fish story are James... Da are they really heroes? They didn't really do anything except hook something that was just out there living its own, you know, peaceful life. What the hell? Um, uh, heroes are these four idiots. And then the Swampscut Serpent doesn't seem to be even a distant relative of the 81-pound monster he caught last week. So it went from 90 pounds to 81 pounds. So the one guy has got a photo of it. This other one is more eel-like, and they said it was 100 pounds, and they had to kill it with a blow. So something big was out there, and I know that eels get big, and I know they're probably out there as well, but what the hell, what the hell's in this photo, for one thing, and B, what the hell did they see just offshore that dragged them out to sea? Okay, thank you, Stitch, you can stop. Alrighty, so that's enough lake monsters for a bit. Let's switch gears to other stuff. And for those gears, and for the other stuff, and I mean there is a lot of them. There's one, two, three, four, five... 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 newspaper stories that are going to get even better and even weirder. And if you want to hear them, you're going to have to be a patron. Because that's right, the rest of this episode is patron exclusive over on Patreon.com. I'm sorry, you guys got the first hour, the patrons get the second hour. So if you want to hear even more cryptids, and I mean a variety of cryptids, some great stories that I had never heard of, some great stories that I investigated, you're going to have to become a patron over on patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac. But I hope you guys liked the episode that you could hear, the free episode for everybody. I think there are some amazing stories in there. There are a ton more newspaper stories. I'm finding more and more newspaper articles that blow me away, stuff that I had never heard of, some that I could debunk right off the bat, but some that I can't. Some that I can't figure out at all. There are just some absolutely incredible newspaper articles that seem to be real, seem to be true, and no one's talking about them. Not even all these little bullshit sites. A couple of them are talked about, but not all of them. And I really think that I caught on to something. I found out something by looking up old newspapers, by having some kind of nerdy obsession with old newspapers. I think there's still a lot of stuff out there that hasn't been shared really in a long time. So I hope you guys like this one. I really do hope you guys like these newspaper article uh, episodes. I've got a couple more in the works. I'm going to spread them out. I don't want to do newspaper article episode after newspaper article episode, but I've got more in the works. So I hope you guys dig this, this historical look at the paranormal, at the cryptids. And uh, definitely the next one is... Uh, historical look at paranormal. That's all I'm going to say. It's all I'm going to hint about that one. But what do you guys think? Do you guys think any of these lake monster stories were true? Do you think that all of these were just to sell newspapers? Again, I believe that some of these were to sell newspapers, but not all of them. I think for the most part, these people were really seeing something. These fishermen really had instances that they couldn't explain or were terrifying and they saw something out there. And that leads me to this question. What happened to all these lake monsters? Sure, some of them are still around. Ogopogo is still being seen. Lake Champlain, Champ is still being seen. Loch Ness is being seen more than ever. But what about the rest of these? Do you think whatever it was just kind of died out? It was one or two of its species. It was there for a while. And because of probably man encroaching its environment, it just died out. All right, I hope you guys like this one. Once again, 
I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. For even more, you gotta head over to Patreon.com. Positive love.